0: Luke chapter number 12 this evening. And I want to preach to you for a few moments on a parable that our Lord told and how it applies to our lives in this day that we live in. I'm thankful that the Word of God is practical. I'm thankful that it's relevant. I'm thankful that it's not only timeless, but it's timely. Now, that's a miracle right there. It's one thing to write something that's timeless. And it's another thing to write something that's timely. But only the divine pen of the Lord could write something that's both timely and timeless. Amen? Luke chapter number 12 this evening. And I'd like to begin reading at verse number 13. The Word of God says, And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. If you've ever uh, been through an inheritance, uh, you know that this thing didn't just start in the last hundred years. Amen? Kids have been fussing about the inheritance for a long, long time. And he said unto him, "'Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you?' And he said unto them, "'Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth.' And he spake a parable unto them, saying, "'The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully.' And he thought within himself, saying, "'What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits?' which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Ask that you'd bless the preaching of your Word tonight, that your Holy Spirit would speak to those that are present and have ears to hear. Lord, that you would accomplish your perfect will in our hearts and lives tonight. We've come here tonight, Lord, not just out of obligation or duty, but because we have need of something. We have need for you to speak to our hearts. We have need to meet with you. Lord, we know that if we've come with that intention, if our hearts are open, that you'll not disappoint. So, Lord, we look forward to praising you for the work that you do in the midst of us tonight. Lord, we love you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In Luke chapter number 12, Christ addressed an issue that I think is often misunderstood when folks read this parable. I think that there are some, and you know, the Word of God, and really this is true of anything that you read or observe, we sort of sometimes take away from it what we want to take away from it. That's why we have to trust the Holy Ghost to speak to our hearts. Because there's times when He gives us things that we don't want, but things that we need. And some in reading this passage have thought that this is a negative commentary on prosperity. Now, I'm not here to preach to you about prosperity tonight, but if we read our Bible correctly, the Lord is not condemning prosperity. In fact, it's very explicit in verse number 16. The Word of God says that the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now, I don't know about you, But if I understand farming correctly, there's lots of things that has changed uh, in the past 2,000 years. But whether the ground grows food or not is still strictly within the domain and jurisdiction of an Almighty God. God had prospered this man. I don't believe this is a commentary against prosperity. But rather, this is a commentary about correct priorities. You see, the truth that the Lord is conveying, He says openly and clearly in verse 15, before He ever takes a parable in hand, He says, "...take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possess." What the Lord is preaching against in Luke chapter number 12 in these verses... He's not saying that it's wrong to have uh, financial means. He's not saying it's wrong for the ground to bring forth plentifully. Not even saying it's wrong to have a barn and to fill it. But as we study who this man is, and I don't know about you, I've got a Scofield Bible, and, and that don't make it special or anything, amen, but some of you might have a Scofield Bible. Uh, the little header that's above it, I think, is pretty accurate above this parable. It says, the parable of the rich fool. You see, as we study... The, the life of this man that the Lord gives in this parable, as we study what the Lord laid out as an example to you and I of how riches can go wrong, what we see is not a condemnation against riches, not a condemnation against material things, but rather what the mindset is of so many that even today, now listen carefully, even today some that are poverty stricken have this same mindset that their life and the worthwhileness of it can be measured either by their bank account, by the clothes on their back, by their social standing, by their good works, by anything other than their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. What the Lord's trying to do in this passage is to give us an understanding that it's not that which we see that's going to make the difference, but it's that which we cannot see, the spiritual things that are taking place in our lives. Now, I want us to notice a few things tonight. I'm going to try to be very brief and very quick, best as I can. I don't want to be in here with any of you Jeremy people longer than I have to. Amen? But I want you to notice five things very quickly about this man that I think are worth noting. Look what it says in verse number 17. This is the man that God has blessed abundantly. And let me just pause and say this. I can say this about my life, and you can probably say it about yours, that the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Me and my wife today, when we were driving in the car, man, we were just talking about how good God has been to us lately. Talking about how He's blessed us all the things that He's done for us. He, some of us, I mean, we've got, like the preacher said a, a couple Sunday nights ago, we've got zeros in our bank accounts. that are just on the wrong side of the decimal. Amen? Uh, some of us are like that. And I'm sure there's some that are blessed more financially than others. But all of us would have to admit, whether it's physical blessings, whether it's financial blessings, whether it's family blessings, that in some way, God has prospered us. The ground of our life has brought forth plentifully, and what will our response be to that? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, I, I know basically uh, two different types of Christians. There's a third type we all ought to strive to be. But there's, there's basically two types of people uh, that, relative to the way they deal with, with difficulty. There's what we might call foul-weather Christians. Foul-weather Christians, they're the type that when everything's going wrong, when the sky is falling and the bottom has fell out underneath them, all of a sudden they have a need for God. They treat God sort of like a spare tire. I mean, when everything's going well, they don't even know He's in the trunk. But then when things go wrong, they have a need of the Lord. And then there's what we might call fair-weather Christians. And that's those that, if anything goes wrong in their life, I mean, if they have a bump in the road, all of a sudden now, God doesn't love them, He doesn't care about them, He doesn't doesn't want to provide for them. Those are fair-weather Christians. Those that only serve God when things are going well. The third type is faithful Christians. We all ought to strive to be faithful Christians. But a lot can be said, not just about how you face adversity, but how you face prosperity. When I say prosperity, I don't mean confined merely to that which is financial. How you deal not just with burdens, but how you deal with blessings. I've known some people that a burden could never undo them, but a blessing and undid them, I guess you'd say it like that, quicker than you could imagine. This is a man that we would call a foul-weather Christian. It wasn't a problem that he was going to get too small for God. It was that he got too big for God. And all of a sudden, when the ground is brought forth plentifully and everything is going well, notice how he responds in verse number 17. And by the way, there's not a word of praise that comes out of this man's mouth. Nowhere does he stop and pause and say, Lord, I want to thank you for how you blessed me. Instead, where is his focus? It says, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do because I have no room where to bestow My fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. I want to give you one of the reasons I think this man was a fool was because his trust was foolish. Can I just tell you something? Your bank account may be big and fat today, and it may be skinny and bare tomorrow. I want you to notice, first off, his trust in his assets... All of the sudden now, he's not, and we don't know, it's a parable, I'm aware of that. This is not uh, necessarily given to be a, a historical story that the Lord is telling about a literal man, it's a parable. But where it picks up, we have reason to believe uh, that that God had an expectation out of him. God says this, night "...shall thy soul be required of thee." Uh, Probably, I don't think it's the stretch of the imagination to assume that maybe this man, if he was a real man, if he was alive, he would have had some kind of relationship with the Lord at one time. It could have been that there was a time when he graced the presence of the prayer clause. Could have been there was a time uh, when he would lift his hand towards heaven before the crops got increased when he just had a little bit and say, I want to thank God for what he's given me. But now that God has increased him, all of a sudden his, if we could use this term, his God consciousness seems to have dropped to zero. We see where his trust is at. And, and listen, if I could just put it real plain, and, and I, 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 I always try to do this. I want to say what my point's going to be for the whole service and get it out of the way and get it in your mind so that you're thinking about it. It's in, it this is my thought. What are you living for tonight? What is it that you're living for? What is it that you measure success or failure by? This man thinks he's a success because of the goods that he has. He's trusting in his assets. And let me tell you something. I mean, we all live in a temporal world. I'm aware of that. We all, I mean, it's, it's a material environment that we live in. Uh, it takes money to live and I'm aware of that. But let me tell you something. Something's real wrong when we're depending on our paycheck more than we're depending on our provider. And a lot of times, all it takes, you to be laid up in a hospital, laid up on a sick bed, and you really start to see that it ain't your employer that's providing for you. It's your God that's providing for you. This man, immediately his mind is drawn off of the Lord, off of the Almighty and onto his assets. But then notice verse 18, and he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. He was trusting not only in his assets, but he was trusting in his own arrangements. He said, I'm going to get me a fiscal plan for the rest of my life. Now, please, don't, I mean, listen, grain of salt, brethren, grain of salt. I'm not advising anyone against making plans for the future. By all means, make plans. One of the great uh, foolish things that a lot of preachers have done for years and years and years, and I hope to not repeat this mistake that many of them have done, is not provide for They always say, well, I'm never going to retire. I'm never going to retire. Well, that's easy to say until your mind goes. Or that's easy to say until your body goes and you're not able to pasture anymore. Uh, we ought to make uh, provisions for the future. I'm not saying by any means that we shouldn't do that. But understand that those things can be gone in a moment. There's no real security ultimately in those things. Our security ultimately has to be in the Lord. A lot of folks found that out when the economy tanked. Folks that thought they had retirements. Folks that thought they had a plan. Man, they had built bigger barns. They had laid up in store. They had it all planned out. And then in a moment, it was gone. He said, I'm going to do it my way. And I'm going to make my provision. I don't say this to unsettle you tonight, because let me tell you something. If you're saved by the grace of God, your God is a lot more faithful than your retirement plan is. I'm not saying it to unsettle you tonight. And I'm not saying it to discourage you. away. I'm saying it to get your focus on who it is that's really providing for you. Who the hand uh, of the giver belongs to. Who it is that's blessing you. Who it is that every good and perfect gift cometh from trying to get you to have your focus on Him who's really providing for you. We see that He was trusting in His own arrangements. He said, I've made my plans. I've got it all mapped out. I've got it all settled out. I've, one of the things that, that pastoring has helped me with in my personal life, you, you, some, you may think sometimes, boy, He talks about pastoring a lot. Well, I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't flip hamburgers, so I can't talk about that. I, all I can talk about is pastoring. But one of the things is, in, in our life, I, I am in many ways a creature of habit, as we all are. And I am, in many ways, a seeker of stability, as we all are. I, I'm not, you may not believe this, but I'm not really that reckless of a person. I, I'm, not the, I'm not a thrill seeker. I'm in greatest thrill I get in, in preaching, amen, that's about it. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a thrill seeker. I crave stability, just like anyone would crave stability. But it's been a help to me, having this consciousness, that me, more than anyone, I have no decision over what my future will hold. Now, none of us do. But I'm keenly aware, you know, me and my wife, we're trying to buy a house right now. Well, we're not trying to buy one, we're trying to sell one, amen? But if we can get it sold, and one of the things that we have said a hundred times is, you know, there could be a day when the Lord moves us entirely I mean, states away. We don't know. I have every intention of spending the rest of my life uh, in the situation that I'm in right now, but we don't know that. We don't know what the will and mind of God could be. The truth is, you can make all your plans that you want. And I'm not, I'm not saying don't make plans. I, I'm saying remember who has the grand plan. Remember who it is that's truly in charge of these matters. We see he was trusting in his arrangements, but he was trusting in his ability. This is unusual. I, 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 you don't find this a lot uh, in the Word of God, and you don't, to my knowledge, you don't find it anywhere else in the parables. If you were to meet this man, you might think this man was a little nutty. You know, I've had people ask me one time, I can't remember, somebody back this asked me, said, Preacher, do you think it's okay to talk to yourself. and Somebody asked me that, and I said, well, that's fine as long as you don't start answering, you know. Uh, that, I, I, that's okay. This man, we might have thought he was nuts because he starts talking to himself. And he says, I will say to my soul, soul? And he's speaking to himself. Now, you say, what is, what is the meaning of that? What is the significance of this? I would say this. You have two parallel things that take place. One is in verse number 19, where he says, and I will say to my soul. But then look down in verse number 20, and you can read them right next to each other, and I think you get a clear understanding. In fact, let's do that. Let's just read the the first phrase in verse 19, then the first in verse number 20. And I will say to my soul, but God said unto him. You see, he had ideas about how his future was going to go. And he had a faith in the power of his own word that he didn't have in the power of the Word of God. He says, I will say to myself, soul, look at it, verse 19, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Let me tell you something. A lot of times our plans don't go the way that we expect them to. But beyond that, he, w- he had a foolish trust in his own ability. You'll see this, and, I, and I'm aware. I mean, if we were to take an age demographic in, in, in the church tonight, it'd fall above 27 years old. I, I recognize. I'm not the voice of experience. And many of you could witness to this very same thing because you've seen just how unstable life can be. I'm talking about, listen now, there's people that woke up this morning in Knoxville, Tennessee, and everything was okay. But they'll go to bed tonight and their life will be in pieces. I mean, there's people that woke up this morning and everything was took care of. They'll go to bed tonight and they can't even help themselves. He was trusting in his own ability through his planning and through his, his future planning, future making, if we could call it that. He was saying, I know that in my own strength I'll be able to do this. You know what's interesting? We kind of picture this sometimes, like this guy built all these barns and then the Lord said, OK, now it's time. You know, he never got to build those barns if we read our text correctly. He never got to build those barns. This all took place in, in the matter of a night that he says, that, that he said to himself, I'm going to build bigger barns. I'm going to tear down what I've got. I'm going to build bigger barns. But before he ever got the chance, he had to leave this world. I wonder something tonight. If the Lord wrote finished on your life tonight, what would you have lived the most for? Would you have lived the most for that car you drive? Or for that house that you live in? Would you have lived the most? for that retirement you've got, or for, for that pension plan? Would you have lived the most for the name that you carry in society? I told you, it's not really about money. What it's about is, what are we living for? This fellow thought he was going to be okay. He thought everything was all right. And all these plans. And then in a moment, they all faded away. Why is that? Well, I want you to notice not only that his trust was foolish, but notice that his time was fading. I'm going to give you some very, very uh, static, if we could use that term, statements about life. Notice two things that took place. Look at verse 19 again. I want you to notice he had an expectation of time. Look what it says. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for what? Next two words, many years. Many years. I remember hearing a preacher say one time, he was talking about dying, and he said, "Uh, when I die, it won't surprise anybody more than it does me. (laughs) He said, it'll probably take my breath away, it'll surprise me so much. Nobody plans on dying. Nobody does. I don't care who you are tonight, I promise you, you don't have plans of meeting God before you meet your bed tonight. Everybody in this room has a firm faith that they're going to make it home this evening. I'm not saying it's scary, you very well may. In fact, I'd say the majority, if not all of us, that there's a likelihood that we probably will. But the truth is, we see not only did he have an expectation of time, but he had an expiration of time. All of a sudden, his life was gone. You ever really stopped and focused on that? You ever really stopped and thought about it? In in the broad scheme of your life, I wonder how many of us have friendships that need to be mended before we meet the Lord. I, in studying about that, that idea of patience, and if the Lord had let me, I was going to preach on it tonight. He didn't let me, but I, I guess I'm just trying to anyway. I don't know. But in studying about patience in James chapter number 5, when it, it gives us three examples of patience. But one of the things it says, it says, grudge not one another because the judge is even at the door. Let me tell you something. You may not get a chance to ask forgiveness for those words you said you may not get a chance to try to make your wrongs right. We said at the beginning of the service, and we announced at every service, that the Lord is coming back. He is coming back. We don't mean the Lord's coming back because that's our positional statement. We mean the, the Lord's coming back because by God's grace, that's our practical realization. But oftentimes, we have this academic understanding, but no effectual belief in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I would just invite you to this truth, whether you believe it or not, it's still true. He's coming back. But let me tell you something, and I and I hope this comes out right. There's a lot more people died in this world today than were raptured. Oh, I know. There's coming a day when the entire body and bride of Christ be raptured out of this world. I'm looking for that day. Aren't you? I've heard preachers say a hundred times, I'm not looking for the undertaker, I'm looking for the upper taker. But we need to be conscious that both are upon us at all times. Yeah, an expiration of time. Things just didn't go as he planned. I wonder how many of us have loved ones that things didn't go as they planned. Boy, I, you know the best... If you were to ask the average Baptist, you know the best day to serve God to them? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. I'll get faithful to church Tomorrow. Hey, I ain't fussing at you. This is a Wednesday night crowd. I know that. But folks say, I'll get faithful tomorrow. I'll give tomorrow. I'll, I'll witness tomorrow. I'll pray tomorrow. I'll read my Bible tomorrow. But the funny thing is, tomorrow never comes. You just, you just run out of today's one of these days. And that's what every one of us is headed for. We see that this man had an expiration of time. Well, what happened? Notice, look on a little further, verse number 21. Notice what it says. Well, we'll read verse 20 and 21. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? We see that his trust was foolish. We see his time was fading. But we see that his treasure was failing. He had a comfortable life. We're made pretty aware of that. I mean, I I believe when God says that it brought forth plentifully, I believe the picture that the Lord's trying to paint to us uh, is that of a a man that lives comfortably. Most of us, that's all we really look for in life, in in, uh, physical means, temporal means. That's all we really look for. There's a few that want to be, I mean, so rich they can't count it. But most of us, we just look to be comfortable. And what was it that this man was really wanting in life? It's interesting. He doesn't say, I'll build more barns, and then I'll parlay this into a business. He doesn't say, I'll build more barns, and then build more barns. How many barns did he want to build? Well, notice again what it says in verse number 19. Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. You know what this man wanted? He wanted the same thing you and I want. He wanted to be comfortable. Was it wrong that he wanted to be comfortable? I don't think so. Again, I mean, I I don't believe God is against people being blessed uh, with with money or being blessed with comfort. It's not that. It's where did his comfort lie? He was comfortable, but why was he comfortable? I'm going to say it again. And I'm not just trying to to press your amen button. But I'm going to tell you something. We have a lot more comfort. I mean, if our bank account was flat broke we'd still be able to have a lot more comfort knowing who our Father is than we could in any other circumstance. Let me ask you something. You ever heard of somebody? Have you ever heard of somebody that had it all and lost it like that? You ever heard of anybody like that? I have. I mean, you know, there again, we all remember when the economy tanked back of this. And man, I mean, people that were set up for years to eat, drink, and be merry. And it was just gone. He's gone. I've heard lots of folks. You've heard a lot. Raise your hand. Have you ever heard of folks like that? I've heard lots of folks like that. Let me tell you what a king in Israel said, though. He said, I have been young, and now I am old. Yet have I never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I've seen lots of folks go flat broke, but I've never seen a Christian that loved God and served Him go hungry. Where's your comfort lie? We see that His goods made Him comfortable, but we see that His goods were cherished. Man, He protected. He loved Him so much that He'd work for Him. Oh man, this is gonna. It's gonna. It's gonna hurt all of us, I guess. Oh, we all have to work and make a living, every one of us. But we better be careful where that fine line is. You know, that's what prompted the parable. Is, is a young man crossed over that line. We do not know all of the details of it. But my suspicion is this, that probably that young man that cried out to the Lord and said, make my brother divide the inheritance, I don't know the circumstances. But I do have a suspicion that maybe he didn't have a right to whatever portion he was wanting. The Lord uses the term covetousness. You know what covetous is. Don't you? Covetousness isn't isn't just just wanting things. We all want things. But covetousness is to want something at the expense of another. All the examples that are given concerning covetousness in the Old Testament, for instance, coveting your neighbor's ox or your neighbor's wife. Now, I mean, they may have done it with Dolly the sheep, but I doubt they can do it with Dolly, your next-door neighbor. Amen? I mean, either he's going to be married to her or you're going to be married to her. There's nothing wrong with that. I see it all the time. I, you know, I, I watch and uh, I watch little ones all the time, and uh, and I I love. I, I get a lot of entertainment watching Sawyer and Levi play together, because they're both at that age, you know, and uh, and it's funny. And they both do this. You'll watch it. One of them. I mean, th- this past Christmas, you had to buy things in pairs, you know, because they're both at that age. And my little boy will be at that age very soon where, where you know, it's not just enough to have something. You, you, don't, you want theirs, <laughs> you know? You don't just want it. You want theirs. Well, that's innate within human nature. This man, he, he, the covetousness that Christ is addressing, the, the longing that Christ is addressing. Listen now, he, he wanted it so bad that he'd pull down the barns that he was already blessed with just to build barns in his own strength. He cherished these things he treasured these things and let me tell you something the things we ought to cherish in life cannot be measured by bank accounts they cannot be measured by the square footage of our house by 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 the value of our vehicle the things that we really ought to be cherishing you know the main thing that he didn't cherish that he ought to have his time because it turns out he had a lot more grain than he had time let me tell you something. You might find out in life while you're working so hard, and one of the advice I give to young couples is don't get so caught up with the getting there that you miss the getting there. Don't get so caught up trying to make it that you miss getting there because it's so easy to do. Time flies so swiftly. And it may be that what we think we don't have enough of, we've actually got more of that than we do time left in this world. And it might be our priorities would look a little different. Notice that not only... Was his goods comfortable? They made him comfortable, and he he cherished them. But we see that ultimately he lost them, didn't he? Ultimately he lost them. Notice that his termination was final. Now he said, "Soul, so I will lay these things up, and I'll build new barns, and I'll be good for many years. Well, that didn't happen. But what God said was going to happen, happened. The Lord said, This night shall thy soul be required of thee. And it was a final thing. Let me tell you something. I, And again, I'm not preaching against being blessed. But there's going to come a day where money ain't going to be a thing to us. But there's going to come a day when we'll run out of opportunities to witness to our loved ones and our family members. Come a day... Those things that we despise doing. I know how you are. You're just like me. We're both carnal. There's times, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that blanket gets heavy, that recliner gets comfortable, and we just want to stay in. But let me tell you something. There's coming a time you won't get another chance to go through the doors of the house of God. I know that the prayer closet can be uh, laborious sometimes. Mine is just like yours is. But there's coming a day (laughs) when prayer won't mean nothing. We sing it all the time in sweet hour of prayer. I'll shout while passing through the air Farewell, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. There's going to come a day when the prayer closet won't be available. I'm thankful that the Word of God liveth and abideth forever, and I believe that the Word of God liveth and abideth forever, don't you? But there's coming a day we won't be we won't have a choice in obeying its tenets. It's coming a day when this vile body shall be made like unto his glorious body. One of the things we won't be able to do in that day is of our own voluntary will in opposition to our flesh show our love and devotion to an almighty God by denying our flesh and obeying His Word. There's come a day that flesh is going to be eradicated and I'm thankful for it, but don't think for one minute. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's going to come a day you won't be able to tell Him you love Him in that way that you can tell Him now. Oh, you'll be at His feet and you'll cast your crowns like everyone else. I'm merely saying this. Don't take for granted the opportunities you have today. Because His termination was final. Final. Ended. Done. If the Lord took you home tonight, you wouldn't get to witness to another person. You wouldn't get that loved one that you've been praying for. You wouldn't get another opportunity. And let me tell you something, friend, it could be tonight. Just like it could be for me. It was final. It was done. Wonder if you'd feel like you've prayed. Wonder if I'd feel that way. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching at me. Wonder if I'd feel like I'd preached enough and prayed enough and studied enough. My life ended tonight. God help us to get eternity stamped on our eyeballs and to get to the place that we value these passing moments cuz we don't get them back. Then notice finally and I don't even remember what it was called. I think it was his triumph was fruitless. What what is How does the Lord wrap it up? How does he sew the whole thing together and hand it to you? He says, so is he that layeth up riches for himself and is not rich toward God. And here's just the question tonight. I don't know what your bank account looks like down here, but I wonder if you know what your bank account looks like up there. I wonder which is bigger and I wonder if you're satisfied with it that way. I mean, this is getting real tonight. We're about to close. This is getting real. I wonder if you'd be satisfied with what you've done for Christ. I wonder if I would. Oh, I know you've got excuses. I've got them too. Funny thing about it, the devil don't give anybody anything but hard times and excuses. Heartaches and excuses. But buddy, he's got plenty of excuses. And if you want one, he's got plenty. And if you can't find him, come to me because he gives me all of them that I can handle. We've all got excuses. But I wonder how many of us have really, I mean, we're really serving God the way that God wants us to.